Good morning, everyone. The title of this sermon is Getting Life Right, and it should be subtitled the first time because there is no second time. And appreciate Dr. May uh, wanting me to come and speak. Now, to let you know, I preached this sermon our first chapel at Shorter. So uh, if you were at that chapel, this is your punishment uh, for being faithful, I suppose. But I always want you to know what we're doing at Shorter. One of the things that we did in our first chapel is to hand out every student a Romans Road bookmark because it's very important, very important for us to know and to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get the best education in the world, you make all the money in the world, you have the best looking spouse in the world and the best in-laws in the world and your children grow up to be the best in the world and you die and go to hell, it's not worth anything. Jesus Christ is everything, everything. And I believe that with every fiber of my heart. When I was in college, I was a biology major, and there was a guy down the hall, he was a psychology major. And we became friends initially because he knew how to bake a cake from scratch and nobody else did. And they were good too. One time he took a course when he was a junior called Abnormal Psychology which was required in the major. His name was Robert, and uh, after the course was finished, I said, well, Robert, what is abnormal psychology? He tried all these fancy explanations, and I said, well, put it down where I can understand it. He said, basically, everybody in the world is crazy. He said, there are only two types of crazy. You're normal crazy, which is called neurotic, or you're really crazy, which is called psychotic. And he said, if you ever get arrested, he said, I've learned this too. Don't say I'm not crazy because they'll put you over in that other bucket. And he went on. He has a practice now in Durham, North Carolina. He's a psychologist and he does great work. What I thought about when he, years later when he said everybody is crazy, if you think about it, it fits into a fallen earth. The Bible says that we're a fallen race. We were created in perfection. I want to read this scripture. It fits with what my friend said. And I'm going to just read it straight through. And this is typically called the Romans Road, used by many to lead people to Christ and to show them who we are and what Jesus has done. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 through 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Getting life right is really quite simple from a speaking perspective. Getting it right is very difficult from a human perspective. The first way to do that, point number one, is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is not an earth-shattering idea. And I want to show you some pictures. The first picture that you will see coming up on the screen 
is a man named Lew Wallace. Lew Wallace was a Union general during the Civil War. He was also governor of New Mexico. This is a, one of his pictures during the war. Years after the war was ended, Lew Wallace was on a train going to a convention in Indianapolis, and on that train was one of his subordinates, a man by the name of Robert Ingersoll. Robert Ingersoll became famous after the Civil War because he was an agnostic. He doubted the very existence of God, and he would go around the United States lecturing. One lecture was called Some Mistakes of Moses, and he went around trying to keep people away from the Christian faith. Lew Wallace was what we call a nominal Christian. He really wasn't saved at all. He thought he was. He had grown up in a culture that honored Jesus Christ, but he was not saved. So on this train, he goes to see his subordinate, uh, Ingersoll, and he sat down with him, and he was moved to talk to Ingersoll about God. Here's the conversation. He asked Robert Ingersoll, do you believe in God? Ingersoll's response to General Wallace was, I don't know. Do you? And he goes, well, is there a devil? And Ingersoll says, I don't know. Do you? Is there a heaven? I don't know. Do you? Is there a hell? I don't know. Do you? Final question, is there a hereafter? Ingersoll says, I don't know. Do you? What Wallace found was that he wasn't able to answer any of those questions. Poor Wallace decides that he is going to go out and investigate all of those things, and he did. He took the Bible and he began to read it and study it, and lo and behold, Governor Wallace becomes a Christian. And because he wants to express his Christian faith, he writes a book. It was called Ben-Hur, which is subtitled, A Life of the Christ. In the story, you probably saw the movie with Charlton Heston if you're my age. If you're not my age and younger, you saw the movie with that other guy who I don't know who he was. So, uh, but you've probably seen The Chariot Race. The point of the book is about a man who was mistreated, abused, but ultimately came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happened to Governor Wallace so that he was able to say that, yes, I'm a believer, and yes, I know who I serve, and yes, I'm able to answer theological questions at the very basic level. That book went on to be the best-selling book of the 19th century because men and women in post-Civil War America were hungry for direction and hope and encouragement, and they got it because Lew Wallace became a Christian. The next gentleman up on the screen, you'll probably know if you were my age, his name is Charles Colson. Charles Colson was known as President Nixon's hatchet man. He was part of the administration during the late 60s, early 70s. Charles Colson was once reported to have said, I would run over my own grandmother to get Nixon reelected. Now, he said he only said that in jest, but he did say, I would do almost anything to get the president reelected. As you know about Watergate, the break-in, the trials, Colson was called up into that, and he was worried about it. People were saying things that were true about him. People were saying things that were not true about him. He got 
a little bit down, so he went to visit one of his friends. This man was named Tom Phillips. Tom Phillips was the CEO of the Raytheon Corporation, multi-million dollar company. Tom Phillips had recently become a Christian. Colson heard about this, and the reports were that Tom Phillips was a little bit nutty. People couldn't understand why a powerful, rich, independent, smart man with everything in life would want to become a Christian. Here's what Tom Phillips said to Charles Colson. I have accepted Jesus Christ. I have committed my life to him. And it has been the most marvelous experience of my whole life. Here's what Colson writing in his book, Born Again, said. He said, my expression must have revealed my shock. If I hadn't restrained myself, I would have blurted out, what are you talking about? Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago, a great moral leader, of course, and doubtlessly divinely inspired. But why would anybody accept him or commit one's life to him as if he were around today. He didn't get it. What Phillips did was give him a copy of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He began to read it, and one day the Holy Spirit opened up Colson's mind and heart, and he got it. He became a Christian. And because he became a Christian and committed his life to Christ, it meant that certain things had to take place. He was being charged with a crime of which he was guilty and he told his lawyers against their advice, I'm going to plead guilty to it. And they said, you're nuts. Why would you do it? He said, because I did it. The only way I can be free from that is I, if I admit, admit what I did. Colson found the great, greatest liberation in the world that when men and women admit who they are before the living God that we have all sinned and fall short the Holy Spirit can come in and we can admit who we are, what we've done and say the same thing that God has said about us and be free through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Colson went to prison, served his time, came out, committed his life to Christ. He founded Prison Fellowship and Prison Fellowship International, which is now found in 120 countries sharing the gospel with men and women who are in prison and thousands of men and women have been saved because Charles Colson went to see his friend one night and he listened. Although he didn't believe, he listened and the God of the universe opened his heart. The only way you and I can be free is to accept Christ, to recognize our sin, to repent of it. And the results of that repentance is freedom and opportunity. And we live in a culture today which you very ever hear the word sin. Very rarely. You know why? We don't like it. It's very personal. I'd rather talk about everybody else's sin. That's fun. My own, you know, I'd like a free pass on it. We've developed ideas today. Oh, they're just different. Oh, well, they grew up in hardship. They've got a lot on them. That's just the way life is now. I don't think that carries much weight with God, do you? For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Do you remember what the first sermon of Jesus was? 
It wasn't, you people are really good down here and there's no need for me to stay. I'm going to go on back to heaven. His first sermon was repent. Repent. The second thing to get life right is after one becomes a Christian, share Jesus Christ in all circumstances. We are called to make disciples. That's the one command that Jesus gave in the Great Commission. Make disciples. The word disciples means learners. We are all learners. We have not arrived. We won't arrive until God perfects us in the kingdom of heaven. The next person you'll see up on the screen is a man by the name of John Harper. John Harper was a Christian. John Harper got on this brand new ship in 1912 coming over to America to preach the gospel at Moody Church of Chicago. The name of the ship was the Titanic. The ship, as you know, struck an iceberg. It's going down. They're giving out life preservers, and John Harbor said, only give out life preservers to three kinds of people on this ship, the women, the children, and the unsaved. He even gave his life vest away. 1,500 people died on the Titanic. John Harper was one of them. But as the ship began to sink and people jumped in the water because they knew what would happen, the suction would pull them all down. The water is freezing. You will die if you're not up on something. Harper swam, and as he met people, he shared Jesus Christ. He went to one man and said, Are you saved? And the man said, No. He shared the gospel. Ultimately, John Harper died. Either he got cold and went under the water, drowned, we don't know. But a man who survived said, he shared the gospel with me and I became a Christian. Compare this with a man who didn't put enough lifeboats on the Titanic, locked himself in his stateroom and died. Even one man that we know of dressed up as a woman to try and save his life. John Harper didn't care about his own life because he knew where he was going, but he cared about the life of the lost, and he died in the service of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian means to be something more than a figurehead. To be a Christian means to share Jesus Christ every opportunity we have and not be ashamed of it. And if somebody doesn't want to be part of that, keep doing it. If you get criticism, keep doing it. We don't give accounts to humans here. Ultimately, we will give an account to Jesus Christ who requires the best, doesn't he? The best. The next person you'll see, a young lady, her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson, when she was 19 years of age, 50 years ago this year, she dove into a lake that was too shallow and she broke her neck. And she has been paralyzed for 50 years. It's a tragic thing. A hard thing. Years later, this is what she said about that experience. And this is harsh. She said, I wanted to end it all. I begged my high school friends to bring in their mother's pills or their father's razors. When my friends refused, I would violently jerk my head back and forth on a pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher place and thus kill myself. 
Johnny Erickson found Jesus Christ. She found a purpose for living in spite of those harsh circumstances. Here's what she says later. I have found that God knows my needs infinitely better than I know them. And he is utterly dependable no matter which direction our circumstances take us. Since the time of her accident, since the time she found Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, she started a ministry for people with disabilities. Her organization has given out over 150,000 wheelchairs to people who need them. She's trained 68,000 people in how to deal with the tough circumstances, the agony of this kind of disability, the depression, the anger toward others, the anger toward God, and she has directed that to finding Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And not only that, she's written dozens of books on disability, particularly for children. Both Harper and Erickson shared Jesus Christ in all circumstances. It's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. You may find yourself like Job's wife. Won't you just curse God and die? Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? Yet they go on. Why? Because they found someone worth living and dying for that transcends this planet. And until you and I find that, we can never be free from the chains of this world. Each of these people shared Jesus Christ, encouraging others. Not only sharing Jesus Christ, Third point is we've got to help change our culture through the love of Jesus Christ. The next picture that you'll see is a young lady named Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was from Ireland. She was weak. She was always a sickly child. She wanted to be a missionary to China, but the doctor would not approve her. He said, you're not in the physical health to do that. She was hard-headed, too. I like that. She was a Christian, and she was determined she was going to be a missionary. So she decided she would go to India. She passed muster, went to India, and when she got to India, she began to see all these children. Some parents didn't want their children, so they gave them away to the Hindu temples. Sometimes they would sell them to the temples. And in the temples, these young women, these young girls, very often became prostitutes. So Amy Carmichael decided that as a Christian, she was going to help stop child trafficking. And what she did, she began to go around, involve herself in the life, and she took one of the children, said, come live with me. Her name was Prina. Come live with me. She was surprised that a woman would hug on her, love on her, treat her right. And eventually, Amy Carmichael began taking the children that the parents didn't want. She provided a home for them, a hospital for them, a place of prayer for them. 
She believed that young girls were not to be treated as sexual objects, but were gifts from the living God to serve Him forever. And she helped change the culture by applying what Jesus had taught her through the Bible. She worked so hard, she worked 55 years and never had a furlough. The last 20 years of her life, she was an invalid but kept working and writing and wrote more than 40 books to help share the gospel. Before she died, she gave instructions about how she was to be buried. She said, I don't want a tombstone, I don't want a headstone. You bury me and that will be sufficient. But the children she had helped rescue decided to do something else. Amy Carmichael loved birds. So over her grave, they put a bird bath. And they put one word on the bird bath. It was the word ama, which meant mother. Changing the culture by applying Christian principles will work because God himself in the old book said, my word does not return to me empty, but it accomplishes the purpose for which I send it. The next person you will see is a man by the name of William Wilberforce. I guess they thought that look was handsome back in the 1700s. Wilberforce grew up in a privileged lifestyle. He had all the creature comforts you could have in the late 1700s. He lived in England. He was not at want for anything. He thought everything was fine. He became a Christian at the age of 25. And then his eyes were opened to his own country, the ills of it. And he began to address what he thought was the worst ill of his own country, which was slavery. The importation of human beings as slaves was a horrible thing. In 1771, it was estimated that 50,000 slaves were imported into England at a mortality rate of 40%, meaning 20,000 of them died before they got there. Wilberforce decided that he wanted to attack this problem. He decided to go and be a politician, and he put forth a bill to end slavery, which was voted down. But he didn't quit. He presented 10 more bills, and all of them were voted down. But the 12th bill was successful. And in 1807, England decided to stop the importation of slaves. Wilberforce also lived long enough to see the ending of all slavery in his country. Here are people who help change the world through Jesus Christ. Living in the culture, working in the culture. You and I are called to be that. And all these people, we think about it, they're doing great work, they're dead. But you know, their critics are also dead. Because if they were alive, they would still be criticizing. You know, I, I work in Christian higher ed, and I hear a lot of things. When I was a pastor, I even heard a lot of things too. I would hear things such as, that won't work in the real world. 
or let's just wait and see, or you don't know what you're talking about, or, and it would go on and on and on and on and on. Then there would be somewhere, somebody would say, let's try it. Let's get on our knees and pray about it. Somebody who would come in and said, that looks good, let's go get them. Miss Dallas texts me three letters sometimes at work. I didn't know what they meant. And I made the mistake of calling her and asking her, what does that mean? J-G-D. Do y'all know what that means? Just get it done. And it's in caps, so that means she's encouraging. The Christian life is like that because if God is empowering us and lives in us, what do we have to fear? If we're doing it the right way according to the Bible, what do we have to fear? Then the critics of these people and others come in and say, oh, but I look at the Bible a different way. You know, you don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to read the Bible. When it says all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God, that means y'all and me and everybody else. We're a bunch of sinners. We have been lost. And if it wasn't for the mercy of God, we would eternally die and be sent to hell. I know that doesn't sound good, but you know, to me, that's very liberating because it means I've got a way out. And you have a way out. The last person you'll see is the last point. We are to encourage others with the love of Jesus. This gentleman works at Shorter. He serves at Shorter. His name is uh, David Brazil. I call him Bishop. I took that picture of him on my iPhone, so I actually know how to use that thing. Bishop Brazil is a retired minister. Bishop Brazil is the most encouraging man I think I've ever met. He greets you when you come there, and if you don't have a sticker, he'll pull you over and make you give you your license and all kinds of stuff, which he's supposed to do, but he's going to encourage you. There was a man jogging through the campus one day without a shirt on. We actually require people to be dressed on our campus. And so he asked him to put his shirt on. He got a little mad, and Bishop told him, said, I think you need to be prayed for. So he just prayed for him right there. <laughs> Bishop Brazil grew up in an era of this country because he's African-American. He had to sit in a different place in the bus, had to drink water from a didn't fountain, couldn't go into certain restaurants and all that. Yet he committed his life to Jesus Christ. He doesn't let any of that stuff hold him back from Jesus. Upbeat, encouraging, loves the Bible, loves what he does, loves the people of it. And I will tell you this, I'm going to share a secret with you. When I need somebody to pray, pray for me, I drive down to the gatehouse. I pull my car into one of the two parking spaces. I go into the outdoor, go in and say, Bishop, I need you to pray for me today. And I can't tell you how many times that man has prayed for me and I walk feeling like I'm on cloud nine. He had a stroke several years ago. He recovered from it, still working. Has been a pastor. You think after being a pastor about 50 years, he still wouldn't have that smile on his face, but he does. He loves Jesus Christ. Life is only made right. It is only made right when we believe what God has said about us. Acknowledge it, 
confess it, and accept salvation in Christ. Why do people in our world not do it? If it's a great life, if it's a fun life, because Paul said this, Satan has blinded the eyes of people. One time he blinded us all, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God shatters that blindness with the light of the gospel and opens up the door, and no poet, quoting Shakespeare, no play that has ever been written, no sonnet ever inscribed and no orator ever preached could say it greater than Jesus said it to Nicodemus. Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have ever lasting life. We choose. We decide. Will it be life? Will it be death? Let's choose life. May we pray together.